Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax, you have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us, holding to pure grace. Again, relax, join in with us. Listen on, be blessed. Hello, fellow guard dogs. I'm Steve, and it's time for another edition of the Guardians of Grace podcast. Glad that you're all here. As you can tell, Bill is still not here. I think this is week number four or so that he hasn't been able to come, but it's not without a good reason. His his father's still in the hospital, and he's trying to get his parents moved to some kind of assisted living where they'll take care of him of them 24 7 and it's a monumental task trying to to do such an accomplishment monumental task so father we pray that you will comfort bill you will strengthen bill you will encourage bill to be able to get what you have for him to do done finished allow him to have peace of mind as he's going through each and every day each and every day that's filled with futility i i might add i'm still talking to him father so i know how futile he feels it all is so please strengthen him in every way imaginable father fill him with your spirit through the whole duration of every single day of the week in jesus name i ask you to do these things father well let's see we have been investigating the book of ephesians and it was kind of an investigation about the last three chapters in the book, the chapters that seem to be more of the nuts and bolts, the do's and don'ts of the book or letter of Ephesians. I think today we're actually getting into chapter six, and what I'd like to do is tie it into Ephesians as a whole to see how it makes the conclusion to Ephesians and how it fits in the scheme of things concerning the letter. So I believe we're going to do some review of Ephesians, get to chapter 6 and go over it for what it is and what it tells us about. So with that in mind, I I just want to say that the book of Ephesians itself started off in chapter one unfolding this glorious glorious plan that god had kept hidden it was a a secret mysterious plan that god had that he had created before the creation of the earth he created this plan and he kept it hidden he kept it a secret but very much carried out that plan and in that plan ephesians chapter one tells us that we were predestined 
to be adopted as his sons and that we were to be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus and were to be found blameless. That was what this plan was supposed to do. And in verse 10 or so of Ephesians 1, it it says he summed up you know, in his eyes, the summing up of this plan happened at the cross where he summed up all things according to this plan to make a, a conclusion. A, a conclusion as far as eternal thoughts go, not as far as temporal thoughts go, but a summing up of all thoughts eternally that concern us as Christians. And in that plan, he made peace for us between us and the Gentiles and made us all one person in his mind, one one body, one spirit, one faith, one new man out of the Gentiles and the Jews. He caused that to happen on earth as a, a temporal benefit that we had. But Colossians also speaks about this idea, and I'll I'll read it to you. It says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or or dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things have been created by him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's in this one new man that he summed up all things into Christ, and they hold together in him. There's no Jew nor Greek. There's just one new man that's held together by Jesus. There's not one visible person or invisible person. They're they're all held together by Jesus. And then it says, he is also the head, the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead people that in himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was God's good pleasure for all the fullness of deity to dwell in Jesus. In other words, it's saying that all things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. Now you got to realize it. It says all things in the heavenly realms and the earthly things, all things invisible and visible, This is what Ephesians is about. Remember, it's going to say in Ephesians chapter 6 that our war is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and the princes of evil in the heavenly realms. All those things Colossians was saying was created by Jesus and for Jesus, and he reconciled all those things, and he made peace. He established peace 
for all those entities. That's the good news. That, that's the good news. It, it, it's larger, like I've said in the other podcasts, the other podcasts on Ephesians, it's the book of Ephesians gives us a larger picture than just you and I as humans on earth. He branches out into the cosmos with his eternal purpose. He lets us know that his eternal purpose is bigger than just on planet earth. He says it in no uncertain terms. He says, you understand my insight into this mystery that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God may be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And as Ephesians 6 tells us, they're, they're the rulers and authorities of the light and the darkness as well, that all the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms are learning through you and I who make up the church. As we say, Lord, we depend on you, we depend on you, then they learn that they need to depend on you and that everything comes from you and you are the source of everything. Just like as the, the letter of Colossians was written to the church and it taught the church that all things were created by Jesus and that all things hold together in Jesus and that Jesus reconciled all things, whether in heaven or on earth, whether visible or invisible, whether dominions of darkness or dominions of light, all those things are reconciled through Jesus, and that's something that the church teaches the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, that wisdom, and he calls it a manifold wisdom. Manifold wisdom means many-sided wisdom. There's many sides of wisdom, and actually there's many sides of wisdom concerning each and every word in the Greek language. It can be used in several different ways. It goes on and on and on. You never stop learning about God's many-sided wisdom. And that's what the letter to the Ephesians is at its core about, about telling us that it's a bigger picture than just God trying to teach us. He's actually teaching the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms his many-sided wisdom. But in chapter 1, he tells us about this, this plan and how beautiful a thing this plan was. And he tells us that during the course of this plan, there was a time in the realm of time when we believed and we were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, and we received the Holy Spirit at this point, and we live by that Holy Spirit, as you know. Well, then you get into Ephesians chapter 2, where it goes on to say that we benefited in several different ways in the first few verses of chapter 1, but then it says we were, are, God's workmanship that he created in Christ Jesus 
to do works which he planned for us to do before the world began. Many different things God has planned for us to do, and we do them all because it's actually, they're actually planned for Jesus to do in us, causing us to do the things that are needed. He works in us. Remember Philippians 2.12? He works in us to will and to do his good pleasure. When it's time for Jesus to do something in and through us, we become willing to do it, and then we carry it out. But it's him causing us to will and do his good pleasure because it's him doing it through us, but we feel it. Well, he said in chapter two that we're his workmanship and there was a reason why, and it's explained in chapter three where he says to me, meaning Paul, to Paul, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of God and to bring to light the administration of this mystery, to bring to light the unfolding of this plan, this mystery plan that God had that he created before the world began. It, it says, to me, the very least of all the saints, the grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration, how this plan is administered of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. It was in order that the many-sided wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with God's eternal purpose, which God carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord that the rulers and authorities, good or bad, would learn through the church the results of the administration of this mystery. And it was that all things would be summed up under Christ and he would be the head of everything. That is the, the summing up of this mystery, that he was to be head over everything, which to some of the rulers and authorities, that's great news, and to other rulers and authorities, it's pretty tough news. Hard pill to swallow. But the good part of that news was when it said, and God reconciled all things, whether visible or invisible, whether on earth or heavenly, they were all reconciled to God through Jesus, which is good news for much more than just you and I. So in chapter four, it begins to tell us that for the sake 
of this gospel, this good news, for the sake of this good news as being seen to be genuine and not a false news, but an actual true gospel, we are to act and speak in certain ways so we don't do any harm to the news that we want to tell everybody that we come into contact with. We want to say, hey, have you heard the good news that Christ reconciled all things to himself and you're reconciled to him and that he started a new covenant and he came back down in spiritual form and to live in you and everybody else on the planet and he does for us what we can't do for ourselves and make a, makes us shine like stars in the universe because of our behavior being so good that we shine. That's the good news that we want to tell everybody. And in chapter 4, it says, so, so speak and act a certain way. Don't, don't walk like the Gentiles walked in the futility of their thinking because their minds were darkened and their hearts were hardened because of their behavior. Don't walk around like those Gentiles with the hardened minds. Walk around like children of light. The children of light are, from last podcast, we know that they are the children of the Spirit, the, the children of the light, the sons of God. All those are synonyms for the Spirit. And just like it says in Ephesians 4, that in reference to your former life, lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in a accordance with the lust of deceit and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self which is in the likeness of God who has created it in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Put off the old self in Ephesians 4 and put on the new self. Put off the human nature and put on the spiritual nature. And we see that all through chapters 4, 5, and 6, we see many different ways in which the flesh and the spirit are depicted in those three chapters and we come to find out that it's not telling us so much to do certain things but it's telling us how to do those things by the power of the spirit and not the power of your dedication or your determination or an obligation we do it by the spirit's power is what you're being told in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. And we went over chapters 4 and 5, and tonight we want to look into chapter 6, where chapter 6 is actually the chapter that tells us to walk in the Spirit more than 4 and 5 did. 
So if you thought he told us to walk in the Spirit a lot in 4 and 5, wait till we get to chapter 6 and give it a look. But in in chapter 6, it talks about children obey your parents and parents don't exasperate your children. And slaves be obedient to your masters and do it like as if you were a slave of God, it says, a slave of Christ in verse 6. Don't be men pleasers, but as a slave of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So a slave of Christ, somebody that a vessel that Christ controls to be in the spirit is to be in Christ, which is to be enslaved and under the control of Christ or the spirit. Like it says in Romans 8, the mind controlled by the flesh is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. For the mind controlled by the flesh, the human nature, cannot please God. It does not subject itself to the laws of God, nor is it even able to do so. The mind controlled by the flesh cannot please God. But the mind controlled by the spirit very much gets an A for the day, and that's what he's trying to tell us in in Ephesians chapter 6, that it's all about the, the, the mind of the flesh or the mind of the spirit. He goes on to say, In verse 10, finally, brothers, be strong in what? In the Lord. There's that in phrase again that I've been talking so much about over the last three years. In the Lord, in the spirit, in God, meaning the opposite of in your own human determination. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of God's might. Use God's might to be strong. Then it says, put on the full armor of God. Isn't that what it told us to do in Ephesians 4? The same thing. Here it's saying full armor of God. Before, in in chapter 4, it was saying, put on the new man. Put off the old man and put on the new man. Here it's saying, put on the armor of God. Another synonym for use the Spirit's power. It's just another way of saying the same thing. Put on the new man. Put on the armor of God. And then it tells you that, again, once again, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers and against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's where our battle is. It's not against flesh and blood. We're not mad at the person who's letting us down. We're not mad at the person in front of us. We're mad at the spiritual influences that are controlling 
the person in front of us. And that's why it's saying put on the full armor of God and it lists a bunch of weapons, whether they be defensive weapons or offensive weapons. Most of them are defensive weapons like helmets and breastplates and loin guards and everything else. It's just like it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the weapons of our warfare are not human, but they are divinely powerful and they pull down strongholds and they pull down thoughts and imaginations that set themselves up against the experience or knowledge of God. These divine weapons do those things for us because we can't do them ourselves. Our weapons are not human, but they are divinely powerful for the pulling down of strongholds and speculations and imaginations. And then it says, and we are ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is made passive voice you didn't make it complete but it's made complete for you by these divine weapons tearing down the strongholds and demolishing the arguments that set themselves up against god those divine things like the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit and the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of peace those are all divine weapons, not human weapons. He's saying put on all these divine weapons, which those divine weapons in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and following, they bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Did you get that? Those divine weapons bring every thought obedient to the mind of Christ, to the obedience of Christ. Every thought comes under the obedience of Christ because of these divine weapons. That's why you wear the helmet of salvation, because it's a divine weapon that helps you bring that does bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ for you. That's why in Romans 13, 14, I think it is, it could say, put off the flesh, but put on Christ that you don't do the works of the flesh. Put on Christ that you don't do the works of the flesh. Put on Christ that these thoughts and imaginations don't get the best of you. Here it's saying put on Christ. It says put on the armor of God. Well, that is Christ. Christ is the armor of God. Remember Jesus taking Abraham out in Genesis 15 and saying, I am your shield. I am your great reward. Well, he is our shield. He is our armor. He, he is our, our reward. He is the weapon that we use. He is the sword of the word. The words that Jesus speak through you cut like a two-edged sword. It's all saying the same thing. It's saying don't use your human determination, but use your spirit to accomplish the things needed to become accomplished. 
use the spirit to do that. And it's metaphorically speaking about shields and belts and shoes and all these things. But the metaphors all point to using the spirit, not your human determination. And then in 18, it says, with all prayers and petitions, pray at all times in what? In the spirit. With this in view, be on the alert with perseverance and petitions for all the saints. So we're to be on the alert with petitions for all the saints, persevering and praying at all times in the flesh. It doesn't say pray all day. It says every time you pray, pray in the spirit. That's what I meant to say. Pray at all times in the spirit, not pray all the time, but pray at all times in the spirit, not in your own human determination to pray because you can't pray all the time. Not, not in your human nature, you can't. You, if you're like me, you have the attention span of a dog. Lasts about three or four seconds, then I forget what I'm praying about. All right. It is time for Steve's confessional testimony. The testimony that I'm about to give I can confidently say is the testimony of every person listening to this podcast. It's their testimony too. At least at one time or another, you would have to admit it's your testimony too. But there was a time, and there still is, Mainly, there was a time when I just did not understand most of what I was reading out of the Bible, especially in the New Testament. Well, I didn't understand a lot of the things that Jesus said in the Gospels, but when it came to the epistles, I just did not understand what I was reading. And I don't think many people do. I'm talking about people that have never really read the Bible before to people who have studied the Bible for years and years and years like I did, even to people who have gone to Bible college and have received answers from professors as to what some of these passages are saying, only to find out that that's not actually right either. Not even the colleges get some of these passages right. And I'm telling you, most of them they might have been, they might as well have been speaking another language because I didn't understand the words I was reading. They 
seem to fit grammatically, but at the same time they didn't because they would say a thought that made no sense at all. And I could not understand them. And the reason I say I believe that most people are in the same boat as I was in is because consequently all I could understand was the verbs or do not do something or you better do something. Those phrases, those sentences, I could understand. If it was a command, I could understand it. I feel this situation is, is running rampant through the modern day Christian community because all of the preaching that I hear Monday through Sunday on the radio and the TV is just someone picking a verb and saying you should do this verb or you shouldn't do this verb or you should get better at doing this verb or you should get better at not doing this verb. They just pick the verb out of the sentence that's in the Bible and start in with just as much motivational speaking as they can about the verb. Sometimes they bring in some statistics or some sort of definitions or anything like that to make it all look better, but ultimately all they're doing is saying the, the only thing they understand is the verb out of the passage. And these verbs that they pick out of the passages are right, are, are sandwiched in between just verse after verse after verse that I could not understand. And I don't believe the people preaching on that passage are understanding the mysteries that are being unveiled, the the spiritual thoughts expressed in spiritual words that are being mentioned in the passage. Those thoughts don't register. They didn't register with me. Let me put it that way. I just could not understand them. I confess to you, that is my testimony. I could not understand a lot of what I was reading. Let me do an, an example. You can get it from almost any page in, in the New Testament, but let, let me try this. Okay, okay. We're in, in, in Romans chapter 6. Here's what it says. It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who have died to sin still live in it? What does that mean? That didn't mean a thing to me. I don't know what that meant. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? How can you live in something that you've died to? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. What in the world did I just read? 
can, can, can anybody just come out and give me an answer? Tell me what I just read right there. Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? What does that possibly mean? It, it, it literally has no meaning. I can't figure it out. I couldn't figure it out for a long time. And I even, through a Bill Gother seminar in the mid-80s, I purpose to memorize Romans 6, 7, and 8. Those three chapters I purpose to memorize. And it was 15 years later that I finally found out what those three chapters was talking about. And I had them memorized for 10 years and never knew what they meant. I meant do you guys get a load of what I'm saying, what my testimony is? I memorized those three chapters and never knew what it meant. It, it didn't mean anything to me when I was memorizing it. And for years after, I would look at it and study it and try and get a handle on what it was saying. And I still did not know. It was, I know, 12 years later, I got some insight on it, and it all broke free for me. It just came on like a lot. All of a sudden, it was clear as a bell. But for, 15, for 10, 12 years, I did not have the spirit of wisdom and revelation to understand it. I did not understand what those spiritual thoughts expressed in spiritual words were. I just didn't know. It, it, it says we were baptized into his death in order that as he was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I don't know what newness of life meant. Does that mean I, I quit sinning and now I, I do life better? I do, do all those verbs better? Because I never did do the verbs better. I, ne I never did but I could not understand this. So how could I, how could I get anything out of it? I would have to wait till I read. I kept reading verse after verse after verse, and then there'd be something that would say, so don't steal. Okay, I, I know what you mean, don't steal. I can actually comprehend what you're trying to tell me. Finally, my testimony is that there was, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of passages, so many uh, passages that it made it to where there was a third of the Bible that I couldn't understand what it was trying to tell me. It was like this God from another planet was trying to give me information and I, I just wasn't on the right wavelength. I couldn't tell. And I know that's how it goes for, gosh, I'm, I'm, I want to say 95% of all the Christians can't understand the Bible. I, I say it's such a high percentage because I know that the pastors who are preaching on these passages don't know what they mean. They, they do not know what they mean. So therefore they just find a, 
a verb and then tell you whether you should or should not do that and how how hard you should try to do it or try not to do it. They were just coming to a place that they understood and said, okay, I can preach on that. That was my case. I, I could comprehend just when it came down to a command. As a matter of fact, it's the same way with the letter of Ephesians. The second half of the letter has quite a few commands in it, quite a few things that are written in the imperative mood, which means they're commands, things that you should or should not do. The second half of the book of Ephesians is fat with those command-type phrases. Therefore, most everybody preaches on the second half of that letter because they can understand those commands and they tell you what to do or what not to do. It's the same with me when I read Ephesians. Let me just give you an example. Let me just give you an example. Okay. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Being dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked in according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh, and of the mind, we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. What in the world is being said there? What is a children of, of wrath? Am I a child of wrath? Why does it say I was a child of wrath? I don't behave any better now than I did before I was a Christian. Am I still a child of wrath? What does it mean? Being dead in your trespasses and sins in what you formerly walked. Walking is something that a live person does. Why does it say being present tense dead in your trespasses and sins? And then why does it say in which you formerly walked? What, I walked that way before I was a Christian? And now I, I don't walk that way anymore because I don't think that is something any of us can claim. We just don't walk in those sins anymore. I don't behave like I did before I was a Christian. No, we, we, we still do those things wrong, those verbs wrong. There, there's no formally that's why I used to pick daisies with my salvation when I was reading this passage when I was just coming close to understanding it it, it would say well then uh, I lost my salvation or the next phrase would say no I didn't lose my salvation but the phrase right after it would say I lost my salvation again but what is this passage actually talking about that's what I want to look into for just a few minutes. And let me just say at the onset, you have to know the difference between an eternal truth and a temporal truth. 
You have to know the difference between things that are God's point of view and things that are our point of view. You have to be able to divide those thoughts and pick out which phrase goes with what point of view. Let's look at it and you'll see what I mean. Okay, it starts off, and you being dead in your trespasses and sins, that would be God's point of view, because in my point of view, I don't feel dead at all. I'm very much alive. I'm reading this passage and wondering what it's trying to tell me. No, I'm not dead, but it says you being dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, whatever that might be, the spirit that is now present tense working in the sons of disobedience. It says we formally want, and and then it says we the spirit is now working in us, present tense. One says it was form, former tense, and one says it's present tense. You, you have to understand that we being dead in our trespasses of sins is God's point of view, not ours because we're very much alive in our point of view. You formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, which you formerly walked in is God's point of view, because we're present tense walking in these ways that we're not proud of in our point of view, but in God's point of view, he mercifully puts it as past tense. The things that the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in us, is past tense in God's eyes. In our eyes, the spirit is definitely present tense battling in us. So you've got a view from our point of view and a view from God's point of view for this to make sense, and you have to realize that that's what you're reading about. This Bible is telling you about two points of view right here in this one little passage. It says, the Spirit is now working in the sons of disobedience. Now you've got to learn what a son of disobedience is, because I didn't know what a son of disobedience is. A a son of disobedience turns out to be nothing more than another synonym for our human nature. Our human nature. In other words, the children of God and the children of devil of the devil are obvious, something that we went over in a po- the podcast before last, where we saw that the child of God was born of the sperma of God. He was the child that was the entity that lived inside of us, and the child of the devil was actually the child born of our biological parents, from the sperma of our biological parents. The the children of the devil and the children of God are obvious, it said in in 1 John chapter 3. 
it said it's obvious one sins in one doesn't. The child that is born of God, of the sperm of God and lives inside of us never sins. The child born of our biological parents sins all the time. This is another synonym for the same thought. The child of wrath is the child of the human nature in God's wrath is on the child of the human nature, meaning what God told Adam in Genesis chapter 4 still holds up when he said, you'll produce thorns and thistles and it'll be by the sweat of your brow and the blood off your hand, you'll produce food for yourself. That futility is the wrath that God put on Adam. That's the wrath that is on the children of wrath. The the child of the human nature is still under that wrath, the wrath of futility. So you, you see, if it turns out that you have to know how this passage fits into the Bible as a whole, and it, the words have to be interpreted by other places in the Bible, and they let you know that you're looking at a, a verse or a phrase that is from God's point of view, and you accept that by faith. There's so many places in here like what we saw all of us who have been baptized into christ have been baptized into his death that's from god's point of view there in romans 6 that we looked at and god's point of view we accept by faith we believe in it but because we've never seen any of that happening god's view we were baptized into christ jesus in died with Christ and paid our sin debt. That's in his point of view, and we accept that by faith because we never saw it. That's an eternal doctrine. Then there's temporal doctrines like, you know, I'm, I'm still here. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the sins. There, there's all kinds of doctrines about us in the present tense. The, that's from our point of view. From God's point of view, the old man of us, in God's point of view, is, is past tense. In our point of view, the old man of us is still present tense, being corrupted by its deceitful desires in Ephesians 4.22. In Romans 6.6, 6, it says the old man of us was crucified. In Ephesians 4.22, it says the old man of us is present tense being corrupted by its deceitful desires. God's point of view, our point of view. You have to know when you're reading God's point of view and when you're reading man's point of view to understand a lot of these passages that are in the epistles. And it's the same right here in Ephesians 2. There are there's a, a, a phrase that's an eternal phrase, and then there's a phrase that's a temporal phrase, uh, a phrase that's God's point of view and a phrase that's our point of view. But only then can the passage begin to make sense. In, in other words, it says, and when you were dead in your trespasses and sins from God's point of view, 
the, the way you formerly walked, again, in God's point of view, when you followed the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who's now working in the sons of disobedience, all our point of view, among them, we all formerly lived. God's point of view, it was former in the lusts of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind of the flesh. That's all our point of view, That because we still do that. We were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. We were by nature manifesting the human nature, which is called in several places in the Bible, the child of wrath or, or the child of the devil or the child of men. It is another synonymous way for viewing flesh and spirit. And you have to know that many of these passages are talking about flesh or spirit or they'll be meaningless to you. But those are just two filters, just two filters that help you look at a passage and get meaning out of it. If you just know about flesh and spirit and you know about eternal points of view and temporal points of view, about God's point of view and man's point of view, you can read many passages and they'll begin to make sense. And I've said all of that to say this. In the book of Ephesians, there were many passages that were about revelation from God to us, and we accept those by faith. We accept those by faith because they're just from God's point of view. He's telling us a mystery that we never knew from God's point of view, and then there's plenty of them that are from the point of view of in time, what it takes to protect this good news, what it takes to protect the gospel. And in those, they're just some do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do that. For the sake of not damaging the gospel that you are trying to present to people. And for the sake of not annoying the people around you. Those are all good reasons to to do the do's and don't do the don'ts. But it, it's not so that God will punish you. There's no place in the letter of Ephesians where it's talking about you have to do something or not do something because if you do it or don't do it, God will be mad at you and he will punish you. It's just not there in the book of Ephesians. There, there's not a single verse that is going to tell you that God is mad at you. So I hope that makes sense. I hope I hope you guys can get a grasp on what I'm trying to say. I, I hope God is speaking through me and I hope he's speaking clear enough so that you get it. This one was a tough one for me to articulate. So I'll just pray, Father, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can come comprehend these spiritual thoughts expressed in spiritual words, Father. It, it can only be comprehended by you, Father. So it's up to you. The burden is yours. And we ask 
for you to come through and allow the podcast to be comprehensible in Jesus' name. Good night, you guys. I love you. Be blessed.